Hello, and welcome to the regular Oxford Sadia Black Pig Group podcast. Um, I'm your regular host, Andrew O'Shea. Um, I'm sat in my office on a sunny Sunday morning um, in early September um, recording this podcast. Um, should really probably be outside doing some, some chores, but um, this week we are really privileged um, to have an interview with a lady called Catriona Cook. Um, the interview was recorded by her daughter, Tessa, uh, back up in her home in, in Yorkshire. Now, those who don't recognise the name, Catriona's history um, with the Oxford Sandian Black Pig dates back to the breed revival back in the 1980s. And she's had a significant part to play in the creation of the Elsie and Gertrude bloodlines. In fact, she owned the original Elsie um, sow from where the bloodline stems from. Um, Catriona also talks in um, in our interview about her work with Andrew Sheppey. Um, now, we were lucky as a group, the Oxford Sandy and Black Pig group, um, to have Andrew Sheppey, before his sad passing, um, talk to the talk to the group in an event um, that was held um, down in Devon, um, and it was a really insightful talk that was well received by the members of the group. Um, Catriona's story is fascinating to listen to, and I'm sure you'll find it like I did as an enlightening and informative listen. So, without further ado. Hello, I have Katrina Cook of the Cloxwood Herd of Oxford Sandy and Blacks with me today. Katrina, welcome. Hello, everybody. So, how, could, how did you get started with the Oxford Sandy and Black journey? Well, I first started was when I moved up from Devon to Yorkshire. I bought pork from the local butcher and to be quite frank it was looked dreadful and wet and was completely tasteless. So I, although I had no experience with pigs at all I thought I would get a pig and fatten it. And so in the late 70s I started with runts from intensive herds, the white pigs, and I messed about feeding them different rates and killing them at different ages and I had them inside and outside and upside down. And I didn't find the pork tasted like the pork that I remembered from Devon. And then one day the NFU asked me to take um, a longhorn cattle in our trailer, because a lot of people back in those days didn't have transport for animals, to Scarborough Fair. And it belonged to a chap called John Backhouse. And while we were going along and having a good old chat, he said he had these pigs called Oxford Sandy and Blacks. And I thought, oh, I'll try one of those. I'd actually tried um, some Berkshires and some Saddlebacks but I didn't they still hadn't got the flavour I wanted so he rang me um, this would be in 1982 uh, said he had a litter and I bought two the student on our farm um, pre-college student was working for us so I said oh you can name them she called one Gladys and one Elsie so I had two of my great aunts fattening in the sty. And fantastic and how did you go from Gladys and Elsie to the Oxford Sandy and Black Pig Society well, I put, uh, well, no, first of all, we ate Gladys because she had she was had far more black on her. And my Elsie actually had prick ears. I didn't know anything about the, um, the breed, so and there was no, nothing in any books about them. And so then um, Farmers Weekly came and interviewed me about um, paying stamps for self-employed ladies, I think it was. And I got talking about Elsie and said that she was looking for a mate. And she put a... a bit with a photograph of her and this pig in the back of um, Farmers Weekly 
and I thought no more about it. This was about March 1985. And I ran to the telephone one day for outside in our back kitchen and answered the phone with no interrupt, inter introduction or anything. A gruff voice said, what makes you think you've got an Oxford Sandy and Black pig? <laughs> I was actually speechless for once. Couldn't think, I had no paperwork. And I rather lamely said, well, because the breeder said so. So who was the person behind the gruff voice? The gruff voice was Andrew Sheppey. And there was no society at this point, but he and Stephen Kimmins were trying to find contact various um, breeders of the breed. But going back a bit, when I first got the two Oxford pigs, it was my great friend from university days called Mary Underwood who went round the country in 1979 with a photo with the camera and everything set on by the professor John Bowman from Reading University before the rare breed started and she and another student went round independently interviewing anybody who had rare breeds whether they were cattle, sheep, goats, pigs or anything. She took one look at my pigs and said they're not rare breeds, the boar line dried out, they're crossbreds. Hmm. So that's why the Rare Breed Society never accepted them, because the boar line had died out. But this is late 70s. Anyway, so Stephen Cummins and um, Andrew Sheppey decided they wanted to get a society going to try and get the remnants. I mean, we've definitely got the original bloodlines in there, but as I say, the boar line died out. And so what are, the, what are the characteristics of the breed, the defining characteristics? And Have you seen any change in that over the decades? Well, the first um, Oxfords that... Well, actually, it wasn't me who saw a great selection apart from what John Backhouse had. But my father had um, connections down in Oxfordshire, and when he was down there, he said he'd go around and see all the breeders in Oxfordshire. This, again, would be about 1984, 85. And... Um, came back with some photographs and they were very short-backed, incredibly hairy, they had the lop ears and they varied in colour from sort of gingery to almost black. Uh, and the one thing he did say, which I think was borne out later, was he thought the best pig he'd actually seen as a pig was our Elsie. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the society started and I had three children born within three years all in within three years and was tied up with children and calves and well pigs now as well so I never managed to get to the first few meetings but I did write them a the secretary a rather lot of letters and Merriman and I think she got fed up with me asking questions because I didn't know very much about pigs so off would go a letter and uh, my husband bought me a book about pigs but it was all about intensive you know you take your thousand sounds sort of business but I had been given some textbooks from somebody who'd been at university agriculturally in 1950s and I managed to find quite a good book from 1950s so my pig rearing went back to the 1950s. Anyway, I followed the um, meetings uh, because I was sent this paperwork because, because I became a member of the Oxford Sanding Black Pig Society in 1985 and then I was rather surprised in 1988 to see that um, they decided to uh, form a sort of breed committee me committee to have meetings and they're going to have meetings every four months to sort out the constitution of the breed standards for the breed etc etc I was reading the membership of this committee and my name was there and I hadn't met any of these people <laughs> but I presume that all these querying letters it was a small world so you were automatically enrolled 
Well, I think it was because I sent all these uh, questions of our letters and things. They obviously thought, oh, she's young and got taking an interest. So then I thought, I'll have to go to a meeting. And the first meeting was in London and the train was late. And I can remember hacking across the suburbs of London, some, uh, some remote place, arriving very late, going in, walking into a complete room of strangers who all seemed, appeared to know each other and know far more about pigs than I did. And uh, that was the beginning of that a long journey. indoctrination. And as you think about the future of the Oxford Sandy and Black Pig, what, what do you hope for? What I hope for? What I concerns me a little bit, but not a, a, a big lot, is that showing is excellent. It's people's shop window and it's educational for people to see what an Oxford is. But actually, one tends to lose certain breed characteristics because you're going for the best pig when you go into the championship against the other breeds. And so I think we're all going to end up with 13 different breeds all looking fairly similar if we're not careful. And you sometimes lose the robust um, hardiness of the original pigs. But I think certainly in confirmation they've improved an awful lot because we couldn't even show them in public shows at the beginning because they were so variable and so hairy and... Um, not a good advert for the breed and they because they weren't 100% pure you got these amazing litters with some ginger ones some black and white ones the I got the odd I had special dispensation to register for myself um prickhead descendants from the original Elsie until I got the ears sorted and then I could sell to the open public so given the variability in the characteristics how did you as a society decide or agree on what would be or what should be the defining characteristics of the breed? Well, we did have a few black and white photographs of the original breed. And so I suppose... And, and they dated back from what to when? Oh, the 1950s. Right. Though I was quite amused. We had all these breed committee meetings in um, the Rare Breeds Survival Trust building at Stoneley. And I remember going into the board meeting the first time and said, oh, there's a picture of an Oxford on the wall went trotting across to see the inscription underneath and it said it was a Gloucester Old Spot. So then I thought about the orig origins of the breed and of course pigs were pigs in the wild and originally and Oxford, Gloucester, Tamworth, uh, Berkshire are all same geographical. Mm. So they obviously came from the same geographical route but people selected, you can select for what you like. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think we've got the best, uh, the most uh, amusing litters for colouring and things. But it was difficult at first because you couldn't look at a litter and say that's a breed. And there was a big breeder down in the West Country called Jenny Vernon. And she kept cl clear of all my stock. And I kept clear of all her stock. And we gradually, she, I think she cracked it first. She said, I've had a litter that all looks the same. And then I had a litter that all had the same. And I remember talking... With How long did that take? Nearly 20 years. Wow, so it was a, a labour of love. That's right. And then I remember talking to Rex Walters and saying, you know, will we ever get the breed? Because each time we bought a boar in to bring more line in, you, you'd lose that uniformity initially. And he said, no, it'll happen to the breed eventually. And I can now say that within my lifetime, I think we have cracked it. You'll still get throwbacks. Um, mm. I don't get prick ears any longer. And how did you celebrate when you felt you cracked it? A lovely roast pork? 
Oh, well, with all the trimmings? Well, the roast pork is obviously <laughs> the best. But I think the, the showing, because I, I showed at the Yorkshire show for something like 22 years on the trot. Uh, and when I started, I was the only oxer. There was no classes for oxers. You weren't in any other coloured breed. And all the other breeders were very sniffy about us because um, they said we were just hybrids. And then we did, I just kept going. We plugged away and we got our own section and when the pigs were better and we started beating some of the others and things. And um, I, I think, you know, we sort of arrived now. And, and then the thing that really pleased me was we had some very great ups and downs with secretaries, people who didn't... Re- record the registrations properly and the herd book was late and full of mistakes and this was in the 90s but once the BPA accepted us in um, 2003 and we were the 13th breed I felt that I could relax and we got there and um, a proper organisation was doing all the results and I think the foot and mouth did a lot of good my business with the pork did very very well up until foot and mouth because I was about the only person doing it, so I was trotting around with pork all over the country. But then the, there's been a great revival of good food and providence of food and going back to natural uh, rearing methods, which is all good for our pig because they're as tough as anything. I've got a lovely photograph of a boar knee-deep in snow halfway up his side. So I think there's a great future for the pig because it's, it's never going to be a um, top-notch commercial pig because it's not that tight. That's not its forte. Mm-hmm. And just to wrap up now, as you look back over your time with pigs, has there been any particular pig that's stolen your heart more than the others? Well, I was very, very fond of the first Elsie because she started it all. And I have to say that it was I was chuffed to bits when one of my, her descendants was champion at the Yorkshire in 1994. And now I'm in mean, the breed show in 1994. And then her offspring, I sold her to a friend was champion in 1995 and then I had it was an Elsie that was champion at the Yorkshire show in 2011 and in 2012 a barn snap Elsie was champion uh, champion of champions so I thought my father was right when he said that Elsie was a good line but there was a story about Gertrude which got in the times it was quite funny when I started I was desperate to pick up pig pig orders and I went to a small holder show at the Yorkshire showground and the plan was that the Gertrude with her litter um, would sleep in the pen that they provided and I'd sleep in the trailer that night, it was a two day show but she was next door to organic fudge on one side and lettuce the other and I thought I had visions in the night of her helping herself to these um, delicacies (laughs) so I thought I'd better load her back up into the trailer and I sort of made a partition and I slept at the front it was rather a disturbed night but there, from then on, whenever I was gardening and the pigs were over the fence in front field, Gertie would extract herself from the herd, come over and have a good old chuntering um, chatter with me. And then in the Times there had been this um, correspondence about pigs being the most intelligent animals, etc., etc. And I wrote a short note and finished off, told the story I've just told, and said the answer is that um, if you spend the night together, you're friends for life. And then a great friend of mine who bought the, had the pig that was champion sent me a short email saying, we've been friends for life, what about the night? <laughs> and who have been some of the characters that you've encountered along the way? Well, first, of course, we have to talk about Andrew Sheppey, who was a great character and was chairman. And then there was Geoffrey Cloak, who was president. 
and my nickname I always have nicknames for people because I don't remember their names very well uh, with through all those breed meetings we had and I called them uh, Tweedledum and Tweedledee because they always took the opposite sides of an argument uh, the, the argument for the what, what length of years and you know colouring and things like that they would argue and argue from different points of view I remember these meetings at four monthly intervals we went back and Andrew started off on a topic of conversation I thought oh good good he's going to agree with Geoffrey and I, I sat back and relaxed and thought at last we've got an agreement on this subject lo and behold Geoffrey batted in and he was on the opposite side the side that um, Andrew had been at the previous meeting and was there anything that they ever agreed on well, I can't remember one. I can remember it. But having that sounds said, like a no. Uh, yes, no. Having said that, they, we owe them both a lot. Geoffrey in particular, I think, because he visit, went all over the countryside visiting uh, for boar inspections. We had to grow the boars on until they were six months and then have them inspected. Um, and that was a labour of love, going around the country uh, doing that. And, of course, I have to mention Anne Merriman, who was the... Stephen Kimmins was the first secretary, but I never met him. He didn't last very long. But Anne Merriman, uh, she was just a friend of Andrew Sheppey's and was, actually, I think she was musical. I had no knowledge of pigs whatsoever and used to get incredibly annoyed with, with the sort of shenanigans of pig people not doing things properly when we were registering things and kept us all in our place and uh, have great fond memories of Anne. Some final parting words for anyone who is early in their journey, perhaps with keeping pigs um, or thinking about buying some Oxford Sandian Blacks, what would be your word of advice to them? Start by uh, fattening a couple or one by itself so that you can actually f cope with the business of dispatch when it's ready to be slaughtered. And don't doubt. Uh, jump in with uh, hundreds of in-pig gilts because you've suddenly gone from three to 33. And then if you're breeding, be very, very select about the ones you actually register. Um, don't be tempted to, to register a lot in a litter because they won't be good enough. And I think that's it, really. Great. Thank you very much. Lovely hearing from you about the journey of the Oxford Sandian Blacks. Well, that was a that was a fascinating um, interview to listen to, and I'd like to thank Catriona and her daughter Tessa for finding the time to record that um, for the Oxford Sandian Black Pig Group. Now that's it for this episode. Um, we do have some more episodes lined up. If there's anyone that would like to um, tell us a story or talk to us about their journey with pigs uh, or would like to be interviewed for a podcast, please reach out to me. You can find me on the Facebook group, um, or you can email me, andrew at oxfordsandianblackpiggroup.org. Well, thanks very much for, for listening. Until next time, happy pig keep.